Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Cindy W., Andy J., and Dave V. We have on Cal Everett, President, CEO, and Director of Liberty Gold, a U.S.-focused gold explorer and developer advancing the flagship Gold Strike project in Utah, among other projects in Idaho and Nevada. The company is listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol LGD and on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol LGDTF. Cal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Cal, where are we today with regards to gold price and sentiment towards gold equities at this point in the market after a quick pop in the first half of 2016? Well, right now the industry is consolidating on the production side and the expiration side of the industry is kind of off to the side on trading on low volumes and there's not a, a lot of risk capital available for the expiration or developers, but there's lots of, of, of maneuvering going on in the production side of the sector. And um, if you go look at the, the statistics and I take all of my data from sell side banking firms because I used to be, I'm a geologist, but I'm also 25 years as a sell side um, institutional advisor and capital markets person. I take all this data and put it together and you can see that after the Barrick-Rangold uh, merger has come together and Newmont and Gold Corp, I'm not overly uh, convinced we're going to see a lot of more M&A activity other than potentially from out of Australia uh, who are looking to get into uh, North America to invest in either the United States or Canada because of the safety of the geopolitical jurisdiction. So with regards to the gold price itself, I can go into all the production statistics if you like, um, but the average grade of a gold deposit in the world now in production is 1.54 grams, down from two grams in uh, 2012. The average mine life since 2012 for a producer has fallen by just over four years over that seven year period. And there's effectively no pipeline of new projects either internally or externally for these companies to put into production and that's where companies like Liberty Gold slide into that space and um, the gold production side of the industry has now rolled over because these mines are being played out with shorter mine life we're now seeing lower production and ultimately that's going to lead into a higher gold price with a qualifier that the higher the price of gold goes what was deemed waste could now become ore and you can get more production as gold price goes up. So I don't believe in the concept of peak gold. I just don't honestly believe it. And it's just the nature of the gold mining industry itself. Well, that's great. Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense. And as prices ramp, so does, so does production in some degree. And so you have this cyclical nature of the sector and, and you don't ever have a really a peak situation. So I think that makes a lot of sense. So for the audience, give us your background for a moment and then Tell us why you hung your hat with the Oxygen Capital Group and Liberty Gold. Oh, I'm a geologist and uh, worked uh, for the mining side of uh, two American uh, oil companies in Canada for about 14 years. Spent two years working underground in the Red Lake Gold Camp. 
And then in 1990, our company was taken over by Homestake Mining, and I decided to become an investment advisor. Then I spent 12 years uh, on mining equities only with the Bank of Montreal and um, did well there. And then I wanted to get into the institutional side of the business in order to advise mutual funds around the world. And so I left Nesbitt Burns and then joined PI Financial, which is owned 25% by National Bank. And until the crash in 2008, I was um, uh, both an analyst, institutional advisor, and raising money. I think I raised about $1.8 billion over that period of time for exploration companies. And when the crash happened in 2008, I didn't like the way the business was being operated on the sell side. And I created my own M&A firm, and I ran that for until I think around 2015 and then I retired at 59 and then I stayed home and was hanging around the house my wife told me to go back to work and that's why I took the job at Liberty Gold and the reason I came to Liberty Gold was they approached me if I was interested I looked at the company and the Gold Strike project which is now a senior uh, deposit for us in the state of Utah I was one of the bankers representing another buyer for that asset and I and uh, the predecessor name to Liberty Gold was Pilot Gold and uh, they bought they bought the asset my bid was too low on behalf of my client so I already had done the due diligence on the asset it was a very easy decision to make to come across so what do you think of uh, Marco Day and, and Oxygen Capital Group I think Mark's brilliant and what Mark's really good at and the Oxygen Group are they hire some of the best group of geologists that I've ever seen in a collection of different companies. They're just brilliant scientists. And um, in just on our scientists at Liberty Gold, we have five full-time geologists. They have seven operating producing profitable gold mines to their credit uh, already in their careers. And I was just in Nevada at the old Rawhide mine and we also discovered the Regent Gold Deposit and Copper uh, Coral Reef LLC out of New York have just put that deposit into production. So the number is now up to eight. I was down there about two weeks ago, and we own a 15% NPI in that in that deposit. So give us the history of Liberty Gold for just a moment. Uh, you already gave us a little bit of that, and then tell us why the projects at Liberty kind of fit into the model, style, and strategy that Oxygen uses to be successful. Okay, the predecessor company to Liberty Gold was Frontier Gold. And Frontier, our scientists, discovered the Long Canyon Gold Deposit in Nevada. And uh, that was sold to Newmont in 2012 for $2.3 billion Canadian. At that time, they dividended out a uh, dividended uh, share unit, uh, shares to the shareholders on, I think it was on a one to four ratio, if my memory is correct. And um, that's how Pilot Gold was started. So it was just a stock dividend of a a takeover. And the Long Canyon deposit in Nevada is the most profitable mine of Newmont right now in the world. So it's producing, I think, about 180,000 ounces of gold a year at all in sustaining costs of around $359 U.S. an ounce based on the last numbers I've seen. And so the same geological team came together and they went right back to the exact same model looking for Carlin-style gold deposits oxide gold deposits in the Great Basin of the United States. That would be Nevada, Utah, and Idaho. And they just started picking up these projects with the criteria that they all had to be have a minimum of 2 million ounces of oxide potential or the projects were dropped. 
you, you drill them and kill them, effectively what the, what the mandate was. At the same time, they were going back and forth working in Turkey for a year and back in the States for a year and then back and forth with their investment dollars. And when I came into the company, that was the first change that that, that uh, direction I moved was it's going to be a U.S.-based company for oxide gold, Carlin, which are sediment-hosted oxide gold systems, and that's the focus of the company. And the Turkish assets with our partner at Tech Corporation, well, we're, 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 we're I won't go give you the details of it, but there's a monetization process uh, there to to hopefully sell those deposits to somebody else. And so over the period of time that we've been here, we've made a big discovery at Gold Strike. We bought the Black Pine deposit, which is absolutely huge based on the information we, we've got. I bought it for about a million US in stock royalty and, and a few shares of, of uh, Liberty Gold. And both Gold Strike and Black Pine will be the focus of the year, but we will be drilling the Kings, Kinsley deposits as well. So we'll be, we will be drilling three deposits this year. So give us the company snapshot as to the management team, uh, the capital structure, uh, key shareholders, and what you're doing to align yourself with shareholders at these price levels today. The management team own approximately 7% of the company. I personally buy, on average, two times my salary every year in the market. And so I'm up to, I think, around just under 5.6 million shares of the company myself. Mark O'Day would be around four and a half million shares, and then there's uh, the rest of the board will also own shares as well. Newmont owns 6.47% of Liberty Gold, and that was because they own 19.9% of Frontier when they took over the company, so they got 19.9% of the stock dividend. So now they're at 6.47% of the company. Tech corporations from previous uh, property deals in Turkey own 4% of the company. The Van Eck Fund out of uh, New York uh, has fully diluted 19.9% of the company. RCF Fund out of Denver, uh, they have 14% of the company, and there's about another 10 or 12 institutions that are in that are in the name, and then there's a, a large retail component to it as well. So that gives you the capital structure. There's 206 million shares outstanding and just under 10 million in the bank. Okay, and how about some of the key management team members? Moira Smith would be the, one of the key persons. She's the brainchild of uh, all of these discovery, and um, she is the one who finds all these deposits and all the scientists put it together and they make it work. And when she identifies something, we try to get it. And right now we're full, we don't need any more assets. So she identified the Black Pine deposit and then I went and secured it. And just to show you how smart they are, when we bought that property, it came with 560 drill holes. It produced at 300 to $350 gold and was an old Pegasus mining operation in Idaho. And we thought we had to redo that entire exploration process. And then they discovered in a hard drive under a forest services file, every bit of historical data from the Black Pine mine from 1964 to present day. And in that were 1,866 drill holes all the blast hole numbers, all the soil samples, geophysics, Noranda surface mapping, rock sample results, topography, absolutely everything was there. And it's taken two geologists 18 months to put that deposit back together and reconstruct it to where it wasn't mined before. 
So you reverse engineer these things, and now we're ready to start drilling it. And it turned out to be uh, a steal for the amount of money we paid for it. And the reason is we've identified oxide gold mineralizations over a 12 square kilometer area with thicknesses that are permissive for oxide gold from surface down to 350 meters. And the deposit was only drilled on average to a depth of 300 feet or 92 meters. So we tested our, our theory on it, that this was a, a, a very unique big pit target, like a super pit type target. And so we tested our theory on it and we drilled one hole and we twinned a hole that had uh, 40 meters of 0.5 grams gold. Then it went into a, a calcite breccia, which is barren, where they would stop their drilling. It's just a collapsed breccia for a geologist who's listening. And then we went through that and they, the, hole, the historical hole hit five meters of one gram of oxide below it. So we decided to twin the hole to match the assays. And we went through, uh, we got 40 meters of 0.58 grams of oxide starting at surface, went through the calcite breccia, then we hit 15 meters of 1.2 grams of oxide, hit a second calcite breccia, and underneath that, where it has never been drilled before, we hit 77 meters of 1.49 grams of oxide. So in a 200 meter thick hole, over 130 meters ran over a gram on average. That's huge for oxide gold in the Great Basin. And now we've got to find a 12 square kilometer area. So it took two years to put it together, get the plan of operations approved by the Forest Services in Idaho, and it's a unique plan of operations. It's not site specific and it's not road specific. And we can get to the core 7.3 square kilometers to start with. And all of the holes are gonna to have to be drilled to extreme depth because we know we've got an extremely high grade base and we've got gold in the top, middle and, and bottom of that system. And uh, we have internal estimates and we've published that we thought it was a two to four million oxide ounce target and uh, only time will tell if that's a conservative number. Excellent. I appreciate the information on that. So how about bankroll expected cash spend in 2019 and, and maybe future equity financing? Just give us a little bit of details there. Well, we're funded to drill both Gold Strike and, um, and Black Pint and, uh, and a half million dollars into the Kinsley project right through to the end of the year. But I spend most of my time on our Turkish assets because if those do get monetized over any period of time, that's non-dilutionary cash to the shareholders of the company. So if those assets go and there's interest in them, basically because uh, they're copper assets with gold, there's only 133 projects in the world that can produce greater than 75,000 ounces of, of gold per year over a 10-year mine life. And Liberty Gold is, um, is we own two of them excluding Black Pine at this point. And Gold Strike is a mine life of about eight, eight and a half years now, but we've only drilled 30% of the targets. We know it's gonna go over and we've got an economic study on that. But our Halley La Porphyry Copper Gold Deposit in Turkey, 14 year mine life, 80,000 ounces of gold, and then it's gonna produce millions of pounds of copper. And it's the lack shortage of copper con supply that's available and the fact that it's gold. And that's why there's interest in purchasing those assets. So I was just gonna ask you a little bit about that, Cal. Um, we know the company's looking to, to sell those off now uh, based on what you said. Um, do you have any uh, insights on, on when that might be or, or maybe the, uh, the proportion of, of that type of a transaction? No, I can't give you any insights on that because uh, I'd be going offside. Okay. 
So let's move to Utah, uh, and I want to get to Gold Strike in just a moment, but tell us about Utah and why the Liberty team has stayed in solid U.S. jurisdictions. Well, there was a geological call from the our VPX, Moira Smith, and the geological team, and uh, just to not go into Nevada where it was super concentrated and controlled by Newmont and uh, Barrick, but to go into Utah and come off, come up into the shelf and look for the same oxide type systems. And we succeeded at Long Canyon, and now we've succeeded in three other locations. Yeah, so that we just okay. we just went we just went where nobody else was, and we found what we were looking for. And so Newmont has now got the Barrick Newmont joint venture. So Newmont's not really exploring Nevada anymore. So now you, logically, I think you'll see them push into Utah and Idaho to to spend their exploration dollars there. So let's talk about Gold Strike for a moment. Give the audience an overview of the 2018 PEA uh, and what the plans are for expansion of the of the project, the deposit there, and then of course the uh, the upcoming PFS at some point. And then tell us how you might get over that 100,000 ounce mark per year. Well, right now it's modeled at 95,000 ounces of ounces per year, and that's excluding 20,000 meters of di of RC drilling from last year. So the strip ratio on this is really low. It's 1.2 to 1. And it's just a gently dipping uh, sedimentary unit on, a, on a unconformities. Uh, and it's, you can follow it for about uh, 8 kilometers of strike. And then you can follow it laterally for over a kilometer. And the capex to build that project was based on, uh, on uh, 1,700 drill holes, of which 75% of that would qualify for a pre-feasibility because it was measured and indicated. And in that PEA, the after-tax IRR at $1,300 gold came in at 29.4%, I believe. And that excluded the impact of byproduct silver because historically that mine produced an ounce of silver for every ounce of gold. And so that would take your after-tax IRR over 30%. It also excludes all the gold that's sitting on 8 million stacked tons remaining on the heap leach pad, which are now above cutoff. And there's 8 million tons of backfill that we test drill tested, and that's above cutoff now. So there's a lot of more ounces there. But what's unique about that project is you get 80% of your leachable gold in eight days. It leaches faster than anything we can see in the Great Basin. It's just stunning in terms of metallurgy. And that all has to do with, with fluid flow and, and preparation of those rocks and the leachability of it. And as soon as you get one of these deposits into production, the capexes are low to build. Like, I think this one's at $113.2 million at this point, and about $24 million of that is road, power, and water. And you just get your starter pit material, you leach your gold up. It comes out, you get your cash flow fast. You're not waiting six months to get your cash flow in this one deposit. And all we have to do now, the global resource there is 1.2 million ounces. And we've now got an open permit to drill wherever we like over about a 14 square kilometer area. And that drilling should start hopefully within a week. And the, in, this year's intention is to try to push those ounces for, up from 1.2 and get them higher and higher up to 2 million ounces. Once we're at 2 million ounces, we've got the mine life we want. We get over 100,000 ounces of gold. Of uh, which is what is a, is a it's a target with respect to the other public companies we talk to, and that's what we're going to do on that one. Excellent. No, that's that's good information. So on the on the recoveries, Cal, you have uh, I think average weighted recoveries around eighty six percent, already among really the higher rates compared to peer type projects in the region. 
Do you see that can be improved further or does it make sense economically to stop there and kind of go with what's now achieved? Well, when you're looking at column tests, column tests can show you 86%, but every time anybody in the business shows you column tests, normal rule of thumb is just whack five points off that. So you're sitting at 80, 81%, right? In a real life scenario, because you're going to have a component of waste on those heat bleach pads as well, right? So in this case, the historical heat bleach results from the old timers in the mid nineties, over 20 years ago, they came in at 75 to 78% as a run of mine heat bleach. And by run of mine means it's not crushed, it's not agglomerated. There's no preg robbing carbon in, in, the, in the system. And they just leached it out. But we now have some of the historical records when they rinse the heat bleach pads. In other words, they keep pumping cyanide on it after the mine closes. And they got another 45,000 ounces of gold out of it. So that would take your recovery over nicely over 80%. And so that's the kind of economics that you have to throw at these things. You have to understand them as you go through. So we're expecting really good numbers. Why would you say Gold Strike is superior as compared to pure projects in the region? Give maybe the audience uh, a little bit of perspective as to advantages and disadvantages of Gold Strike. Well, Gold Strike is um, is close to a power line. It's close to an interstate highway. Um, there's no endangered species. There's no birds. There's only rattlesnakes and scorpions hanging around and a few deer. And um, it's got all the accesses there, but it's just ideally located to put in a nice deep leach mine. It doesn't affect anybody in the jurisdictions. There's no farming, there's nothing there. And we've been down, we've taken the US, the Utah government in, we've taken all the local the local community that would be close to it. St. George is about an hour and a bit away. And then it's dirt road access. So it's got great infrastructure. Uh, but the key is, is the strip ratio is that 1.2 to one. If your strip ratio goes over two to three to one on a heap leach gold mine, your grade's got to go up or you're not going to make any money. And the, the, if you go look at the Marigold mine for SSR mining in Nevada, last quarter, their average grade was 0.34 grams. Ours is coming in around 0.48. Their recovery was 72.9%. Ours is, will come in around 80. And they're producing 200,000 ounces of gold a year and their strip ratio is 2.1 to one. And where they make their profit is by keeping their trucking costs and blasting costs down. So once you've got a heap leach mine, it's all about earth moving at that point or rock moving and crushing. And that's the secret to an oxide heap leach gold mine. Cheap to build, they're about one fifth the cost of an underground mine and permitting is faster. And um, one of the biggest things you deal with is water actually getting enough water to use for the mine because half the water for the mine will be used in mining process. The other half is for dust suppression on the roads as the trucks go back and forth, right? So it's, it, you, once you understand how simple these things are, they're like a gravel pit once you find them. And there's hardly any left in the Great Basin. So um, we've got four of them in our company of oxide heat leach gold deposits. Gold Standard Ventures has a beautiful one in Nevada. And there's a couple others and that's it. The uh, Great Basin is out of oxide and then it's gonna go to sulfide mining and roasting. Excellent. No, I appreciate you explaining that for the audience and making it making it in yeah. layman's terms. It's yeah, quite it's, simple. So for the, it's really, really simple. And if you take the average grade of a, of a run of mine heap leach mine for the seniors, we're talking the Newmonts, SSR, the average grade is about 0.5 grams. 
So we come in right in line with that. But the average metallurgical recovery is about 73%. So when we, we, we lose a, a bit on grade, but we pick it up on the economics. And if we used a 0.25 gram cutoff on that deposit, we're throwing too many ounces of gold away. So we, we put a 0.2 gram cutoff on the deposit, basically, because you get more ounces out of it, but, but lowering the grade actually improved the after-tax IRR by, by a couple percentage points by going lower grade and getting more ounces, because you'd just be throwing the ounces on a waste dump. Tell us uh, the future plans for gold strikes. So give us kind of the anticipated sequence for expansion, optimization, PFS, et cetera, and then, and then kind of feed that along with the timeline. Give us some years. And also, being in Utah, give us just a flavor of, of really how quick the permitting process can go. I can't tell you about the permitting process in Utah, but Utah is the only state of the, of the three states in the Great Basin, and we're not including California in here. Uh, that has a mining incentive program, and we've applied for that. And that is, once you go into production, you can get, over the life of the mine, a tax credit for 50% of your infrastructure costs, road, power, water, as a tax credit. It's pro-mining. So that's all, that's the government of Utah, the state government, contacting us, notifying us that we qualify for this program. program. So the key is got to get the ounces up to 2 million ounces and then or approach that and do a pre-fees at that point. And uh, and if we come in with with surplus capital later on this year, then we'll we'll increase the exploration programs and metallurgical programs at Gold Strike. But the larger budget this year is going to go on Black Pine because it's so big and unique. Okay, and Cal, give us a little bit of a little bit of time frame. If you know, every hypothetically, everything kind of advances, uh, can you can you reach out for us and you know tell us that this is something that might might occur, maybe a construction in 2022, or, or what are we looking at? I'd be guessing, and this is a guess. It's going to take you if you were to permit for mine mine construction, and do all the baseline studies on any of these deposits. It's going to take. Uh, you're lucky to do it in four years. It'd probably be five to six years on any of these deposits. Right, and that falls right back into our previous part of this discussion. If there's no mines going into production for seven years, the average mine life is going to fall by another three or four years, and the permitting time comes in. Like, if you want to permit an underground mine in Canada, well, good luck if you can get it done in ten years. Meanwhile, another mine is closed. That's one of the reasons why the gold price has to go higher. Right? We've hit we've hit a top in terms of available mines, and that's why. So many mining companies talk to us, and they keep an eye on us and follow what we're doing, and uh, and they do their site visits and whatnot, and uh, they just follow them as they go. Absolutely. Well, Utah's a fantastic place to be for for the type of timing, and and I'm glad you excluded uh, California because it's not even worth talking about that. Um, so let's talk gold price for just a moment. So let's assume that you know gold stays range bound between 1,200 and 1,350. Will that impact the company proceeding forward on schedule, or it, does the gold price in that range really uh, sound great? Uh, well, it works at thirteen hundred. So, and and it's it works at twelve hundred, and it really works at at uh, at at uh, fourteen hundred. At fourteen hundred, I think the after tax IRR, as it stands now, without improving it, is thirty six percent, and then it goes up by about five or six points every every hundred dollars an ounce. You got to realize in seven years what's the price of gold. You might have gone through two gold cycles by then. So in your modeling, you have to you have to anticipate the period of time for from discovery to construction, and then what's the gold price going to be at that point further. And the gold price has to be higher seven years from now because we just don't have enough of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's that's key for people to understand the, the economics here are, are really, really robust, even even at current prices. And I think people need to, you know, get a grip on that. And yeah. and also tell us about community around Gold Strike. Um, how are the folks there and, and what work do you see that is needed or or they see it might be needed to make sure that they are on board with the project? At this point, we don't see any anybody protesting whatsoever. You have to realize the state of Utah is is a, um, are hardworking people. The Mormon culture is really hardworking, so we don't see anything at all. We give presentations to the Rotary Club. We do site visits with people from the from the local community so they can understand it, and got, we have no no backlash whatsoever from anyone. Maybe maybe just a few scorpions and rattlesnakes protesting. Uh, no, it's not that. It's just uh, it's in the middle. It's it's really out in the, in in the sticks. This this one project, right? So you've got to drive almost 45 minutes on a dirt road before you get to a highway. Now that's that's great. That's a good setup. Um, so Cal, t tell us about the. Uh, you already kind of talked about Black Pine quite a bit. So let's let's go from Black Pine and let's talk about uh, the Kingsley project and what is kind of the status there and and the plans for for these both Black Pine and and uh, Kingsley in 2019 2020. Liberty's going. We have a, a, a an agreement on that project. We have to spend five hundred thousand dollars a year, but right now Black Pine and Gold Strike are higher priority targets. And the Kinsley deposit itself, we've drilled off just over 300,000 ounces of six grams gold at a depth of about 850 feet from surface. And it's a sulfide oxide system, and but it floats a clean con, and it doesn't need to be roasted. And that's a deep target. And, it, and if you're standing up in the open pit at Kinsley, you can see the Long Canyon mine in the distance. And then there's a big oxide system at surface there. But we're, when we're looking at the scale of the project to what we're looking at at Black Pine, and then we look at what we're going to look at at, at Gold Strike. The other two take priority of, of risk capital. They're just too big. And Black Pine's a bit of a different beast because it covers 12 square kilometers of oxide, and there's massively high-grade oxide intercepts in it. There's not a speck of sulfides in that from top to bottom, from all that historical records in our drill holes. And we should be drilling that, I hope, next week. There's four and a half square kilometers, give or take, of soil samples undrilled on that property that run 0.1 to 1 gram soil gold in the dirt on top of the target. That's how much oxide gold is there. And the unique thing about Black Pine is it sits on the slope of a, of a comes right to follows a slope edge down uh, off this mountain. And all, there's no streams on the property, but all the groundwater dries goes into the great dry part of the Great Salt Lake. So there's no biological issue whatsoever in that groundwater, right? There's no salmon streams. There's nothing. It's ideally located. It's a few miles from an interstate highway. There's road, power, and water right to the front gate, right, which is a massive cost savings if that goes, when that, if that goes into production one day. But the grades are higher on average than at uh, Gold Strike, but the thickness is at to Gold Strike average is about 30 meters thick, and we can... Uh, we've already drilled a hole that we hit 130 meters out of 200 meters of good oxide. So it can build huge tonnages there, and that's why that gets drilled this year, now that we've got the data and the permit to drill it. No, that sounds great. And and uh, how do you like Idaho as a jurisdiction uh, next to Utah? Um, Idaho's great. I toured with the uh, ex-governor uh, representing Idaho Mining, and we've probably had the best experience of permitting uh, we've ever done, either over Nevada and Utah by dealing with forest services. They actually have 
uh, geologists who work for them who look on mining prospect permitting and they follow things. They get things done. They're really respectful. They ask for things. We give it to them immediately and they help us all the way, right? But make sure that we're doing everything correctly. They do site visits. And if somebody is against mining, they'll they'll ask and they, well, we just permit them to come onto the project, right? And uh, so our permit is granted and uh, it's we're ready to go. It's that's it's it's unique on this one. I won't give you internal estimates of how many ounces we think are there before we start, uh, but it, it's it's significant. Okay, no, that sounds great, and and uh, it's good to know that there's a few good Forest Service offices left, and especially in those jurisdictions, it's it's good to know that there's good, knowledgeable, yeah. intelligent people working at those offices that uh, you know kind of sweep aside the crap and and move down the road. So that's good. Yeah, you know, it's in, it's interesting. They seem to there seems to be more acceptance to go back where mining was before to permit the mines to expand again than if you were out in the middle of a parkland somewhere where you'd obviously had, or it was a visual eyesore or something like that, you'd get more pushback from, from anti-mining groups, but not in this case, it's been quite quite good. So Cal, why should investors who, potential investors who are listening, uh, be taking a hard look at uh, Liberty Gold today? What would you say to those folks? If you want to um, avoid geopolitical risk with your risk capital, because there's nothing you want to wake up to in the morning than financial shock from another country somewhere that's gone anti-mining or has changed the taxation rules or actually gone to expropriation of assets. Being in the Great Basin of the United States, and we know what our tax policy is, they know how to permit these mines, they're really efficient, and it's the number one gold-producing district in North America, if not for a large part of the world. It's just a fantastic place to work. It's blessed with infrastructure, it's blessed with power, it's blessed with all the miners you need, and all of these costs are fixed. The uh, the engineering groups out of Reno and out of um, out of Elko and uh, and Las Vegas, all these people, they all work in sync. They understand the mining industry. They understand the metallurgy. It's just a stunning place to work. Easy to get to. I can go from Vancouver to St. George and then to see uh, Gold Strike and then go to Black Pine that evening and be home in two, uh, with one night away and two projects in two days. That's how easy it is to go view them. So when we take in a group of analysts or mutual funds in to go look at the projects, we can move them in and out so quickly. It's just fantastic. So Cal, you've got uh, some other companies in the uh, oxygen capital portfolio. Where would you put your money? Oh, it really depends. I, I own Discovery Metals is a new company set up and I own 12% of that company. Um, Pure Gold is here. Pure Gold is the most advanced company, and they've just come out with a, with a good full feasibility, and um, and it's a really well-run company. And uh, Sun Metals has made a new discovery up in northern British Columbia on their on a on the drill hole and a carbonate replacement deposit. So I'm a shareholder in just Discovery and Pure Gold. I I don't own uh, so, uh, Discovery and Liberty, but I'm not a shareholder of the other two because I'm too intimately on the same floor don't want to be in conflict with anybody. It's not a conflict, it's about the fact that there's so much information on this floor that I don't want to be offside. Yeah, absolutely, and capital's finite too, you can't own them all. <laughs> well, I don't own a lot of mining stocks, but uh, you know, but I, I pick the ones that, um, I, I guess really the way to, to answer your question about why would you buy Liberty or why would you buy Pure Gold 
you always buy mines, projects, or yeah. deposits that look like they could be economic in an average market. That's the secret to making money in resource equities. And in the old days when Briex was real and Diamond Fields was there and Diamet was discovered and there was so much liquidity in this market, they got to unconscionable price tar prices based on there wasn't anything else to compete against it, like an imaginary digital currency or blockchains and things like that, or the cannabis space. Now it's just a different business. And if you go look at the average age of, a, of an investment advisor, my gosh, they're probably around in their 60s now who would understand mining in Canada. And with when you look at the numbers on the U.S. trading markets, 85% um, of trading on the U.S. markets are by uh, digital computer trading or passive investment formulas. So only 15% of the, of the population are actually talking to a voice on the other end of, of advice. It's actually fascinating to see. And it, it changed the market because you could have a terrible economic numbers out of the states, but the formulas could have, you have the Dow up by 400 points. You could have a great day and the Dow could be down by 200 points. And this is the kind of, this is what computer trading uh, it quite frightens me after the fact, because how are they all these formulas programmed in the case of a complete sell-off on the market? Do they all panic? I'm not sure what they do. So, yeah, it's just a, it's a different space now. The mining space is a different space. So you be patient, and these are not day trades anymore, right? And I spend all evening reading uh, news releases from mining companies, all the producers and, and all the exploration companies, looking for new discoveries that I can identify that might meet, meet my criteria. Yeah, very interesting, and and uh, yeah, what can possibly go wrong with uh, all these computers uh, running the markets? Uh, it's quite quite scary uh, situation that we've got. So, how can investors reach out to the company for more information? All they have to do is uh, go. They can contact us through our website, um, and we'll come right back to them. If they have a direct question for me, it'll it'll they can just have forward it to me. Please forward to Cal, and I'll respond to it. I do it all the time. And when you go to Liberty Gold, the website is completely redesigned. So anybody who wants to look at Liberty Gold, you can click on either the Black Pine or the Gold Strike projects. And there's a three-dimensional model there that they can click on and rotate the deposits themselves. It's really fascinating stuff. And you can just go on to Black Pine and you can go and say, okay, let me show me the cross-sections. And I'll give you 2.6-kilometer-long cross-sections showing you the oxide gold intercepts over, over a mile and a half, right? And so it'll take you right to depth, shows you all the targets on both projects. It'll give you pictures where the where it is, but you can actually rotate and play with the entire geological model online. We update that every three months. And there's a wealth of data on that website. Yeah, I'm just looking at it here now, libertygold.ca. Excellent. Well, Cal, uh, it's been a real pleasure and uh, really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Yeah, absolute pleasure.